Hi, my name is David Lopez, co-dean of Rutgers Law School in Newark, New Jersey, and this is The Power of Attorney. I am very, very excited about today's program because I have four of my favorite people in the Rutgers community with me today to talk about something that is very near and dear to my heart, and that is the Rutgers Law School Minority Student Program, which is a program that is now in its 53rd year and is considered really a trailblazing program for inclusivity and diversity in legal education and in the legal profession. When I was first hired before my selection had been announced, uh, Chancellor Nancy Cantor invited me to the 50th anniversary of the MSP program. I just sat there um, next to Chancellor Cantor and I heard the panel of all of the former MSP deans, and I heard about the clinical programs, I heard about this wonderful school. I, it was a very special moment because, you know, I realized that this was really a celebration of a very special community and something that has really put Rutgers Law School on the map for a very long time. And so I could have gone different ways with this particular podcast, but I wanted to bring in the four MSP directors who are also graduates of Rutgers Law School. Really wanted to start out with Oliver Quinn and Marsha Brown, who are both former MSP directors, and Charles Afont, who is the acting MSP director and doing just an outstanding job here in Newark, and Rashida Douglas, who is the MSP director and dean in Camden. So I want everyone to say, you know, just a couple words about themselves. I know that this is an accomplished panel, uh, but let's start with Oliver. We'll go to Marsha, Rashida, Charlie. Oliver? Uh, my name is Oliver Quinn, class of 1975, Rutgers Law School, Newark. I spent my legal career in the last 14 years at Prudential Financial. I retired from there. Prior to that, I held positions in state and federal government. Earlier in my career, I spent four years as assistant dean and director of the Minority Student Program. I am chair of the Chancellor's Advisory Board for Rutgers University, New York. Marcia? Hi, everybody. I uh, am in the class of 94, but actually, I started earlier in 75, and Oliver was my dean. I came back school in 1994, graduated, and then a clerk, and came back after my clerkship to uh, virtually run the uh, run the program. Um, at the time, uh, they were looking for someone, and I decided I would take a leave from my law practice to, to do it, and then I never left. So I have a 22-year history with Rutgers University, Newark, first in the law school, and then in other spaces and places within the institution, and now in the office of the chancellor. What are you doing in the office of the chancellor? I'm a bridge over troubled waters. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but my title is uh, vice chancellor for external and governmental affairs. That means Marcia knows everybody. <laughs> I wish. <laughs> Rashida? Yes. Good afternoon, everyone. Um, it is a privilege to be here with you all, um, to be able to, again, just to listen to just the history that's so rich and that all of you provide about the MSP. I graduated from the law school's Camden location in 2002. After graduation, I started uh, with a firm in Philadelphia practicing commercial litigation. 
And at some point I decided that I really wanted to look for another employment opportunity that could also combine my passion for why I wanted to actually pursue a law degree in the first place. And so I was able to uh, join the U.S. Department of Education with their Office for Civil Rights, helping to enforce anti-discrimination laws to protect students in school districts, colleges, and universities, and was with the OCR under the Obama administration. So I can officially say that President Obama was one of my bosses, and that's something that I'll always brag about. And um, just enjoyed being with OCR, helping to educate colleges and universities and helping to educate students. And so while I was there, I started to think, well, what about the other side? How do we get to kids before a complaint is filed? And how do we create a climate that is counterproductive to filing complaints in the first place? And so there I went from OCR, I joined Rowan University, led their Title IX compliance and training. And while at Rowan, I heard that the Minority Student Program was getting ready to come to the Camden location. I knew about the MSP program from when I was a law student. And so the fact that this historic program was now going to be on the Camden location really excited me. And I decided to put my name in the hat and um, have been honored to lead the program since its inception in 2016 in Camden. Dina Font, who let you in? (laughs) Um, Hi. My my name is Charles Offont. I'm the interim dean of the Minority Student Program at our Newark site. I'm a clinical professor of law, and I've been there for a couple of years. I've worked in uh, several other clinics, the Urban Legal Clinic, the uh, Education Special Ed Clinic, and now in the Community and Transactional Lawyering Clinic. I uh, am a 1982 proud grad of the Minority Student Program. I was admitted by Oliver Quinn. Uh oh. He is my dean. And I have to say that uh, Oliver Quinn uh, let me in. There was a summer program. I had an operation and I called him and said, um, Dean Quinn, I, I, I'm in the hospital, just had an operation, and I know I missed the first day of the program, but I just wanted to let you know uh, why I did that. And Dean Quinn said to me, in that Dean Quinn voice, well, Mr. Alphon, uh, if you're not here by tomorrow, I'm gonna—I'm not sure we can maintain your <laughs> registration in the program. So I signed myself out of the hospital, hobbled into see Dean Quinn in law school, and I've been traumatized by that ever since. <laughs> But but I, I I tell that story wherever I go, and you know that was my start to uh, law school. Well, that you know that was the way it was done in those days. I mean, you know we we were told in no uncertain terms that our job here was not only to to be successful in the law school arena in terms of the classroom and academics, but also to create footprints for those who were to follow us. We always understood that when you came in. So you couldn't be shucking and jiving. You better be moving and grooving. And Oliver grew up under the regime of L. Slocum. And L. Slocum was the number one hit you upside your head if you started to act it up. Amen. We all knew what the deal was with both L. and Oliver. But Oliver was, was a lot more, he was more gentlemanly about it. 
And, and I want to talk a little bit more about Professor Slocum, as I am the Professor Alfred Slocum Scholar, something that was suggested by uh, Professor Font uh, when I first came over. Uh, but I want to make sure that Oliver has rebuttal, a- adequate rebuttal time. And then we'll let Oliver, you know, sort of talk about the genesis of the program and the history of the program and how it relates to Newark in the 60s. And so, Oliver, uh, you have a rebuttal time. Uh, uh, you, you really weren't that bad, were you? <laughs> I didn't think I, I, you know, Charlie doesn't realize that he was lucky he got me because if Professor Slocum was on the receiving end of that call, who knows where Charlie would be working these days. <laughs> Back in the South Bronx. Back in the South Bronx. <laughs> I gave, I gave him 24 hours to get in. That was 23 hours more than Al Slocum would have given him. <laughs> and the justice of it all is that Professor Afant is now in the position of receiving those calls from students who can't make it to places that they're supposed to be. And so exactly. what goes around comes around. Uh-huh. Well, I, want to, I want to hear if he's paying it forward or if he's uh, instilling a little bit more soft-heartedness. But we'll tell us about the program, Oliver. I mean, soft-heartedness, he's the dean of the program now. So whatever I did obviously worked. <laughs> the, the program actually traces its roots to the 1967 rebellions in Newark. After the 1967 rebellions in Newark, Rutgers, Newark, and specifically Rutgers Law School, looked inward to assess what they were doing. At that time, less than 100 of the 8,000 practicing lawyers in New Jersey were Black. Even fewer were Latinx or Asian. And for the eight years prior to 1967, only 12 non-white people graduated from Rutgers, Newark Law School. The faculty recognized that that was a problem and also recognize that the problem was systemic. And so they decided that they were going to shift the criteria that they were using for admitting people to law school because the traditional criteria were having the effect of excluding people of color. Most law schools just increased their efforts to recruit people of color who met their traditional criteria. That didn't expand the pool. Rutgers Law School faculty in 1968 decided to not abandon LSATs and grade point average, but to look beyond those for evidence of of the qualification of applicants. The minority student program was started as an experiment. The goal was to double the number of so-called minority lawyers in New Jersey within five years. Looking back on it, that was a pretty modest goal because there were only, there were less than 100. So doubling it was not shooting for a large number, but again, it, it was doubling it. The program exceeded those goals early on. The strategy was that the law school would admit 20 students under the minority student program every year. At that time, the eligibility was Blacks, Latinx, and, and Asian. As I said, they exceeded that early on. and the students who arrived at the law school under the new minority student program were not satisfied with just being admitted to the law school. They looked at the faculty composition, the curriculum, a number of other things, and they were dissatisfied. And so in 1969, 
the Association of Black Law Students, ABLS, had the audacity to publish a document called an indictment of the Rutgers Law School community. Now, most of these students had just gotten, but nevertheless, they issued this indictment that called for overhauling the curriculum, increasing the number of faculty of color, increasing the amount of academic support resources, expanding the clinical program. And so you see, they were not looking just to get into the school. They were looking to impact the very nature and character of the school and to revise the relationship between legal education and all segments of the society because they believed that what they saw was geared to provide preparing lawyers to provide legal representation to the affluent. After ABLS issued this indictment document, the law school closed for a full day to have a discussion of issues raised in the indictment. And out of that came the establishment of what was called the Tripartite Commission. The Tripartite Commission consisted of three members of the faculty, three representatives from the Student Bar Association, and three representatives from ABLS. And after a year of hearings and research, they issued a report. And that report called for many of the things that were identified in the indictment to be acted on. Expanding the clinics, there was a creation of a, of a, a mandatory first-year course called Legal Representation of the Poor. There was an emphasis placed on interdisciplinary studies. This was when Rutgers Law School Newark came to be known as the People's Electric Law School. There have been a number of books and articles written about this history. It's really fascinating and particularly fascinating because the number of students who instigated all of this institutional change was a very small number of students. I came to Rutgers Law School in 1975 after graduating from Syracuse University because a few people who had gone to Syracuse and graduated ahead of me were at Rutgers Law School. And also because Ken Gibson was the mayor and I came to learn that Ken Gibson was giving law students opportunities to do internships throughout city government. And I was looking not just to learn the theory, but also to get some practical experience. And Rutgers Law School in Newark offered me that. So that's why I came here to go to school. I then left, went to Washington, and it was interesting to just hear that Rashida was at OCR because my first legal job was in the general counsel's office of what was then the Department of Health, Education, and Welfare, and I was in the Civil Rights Division, so I represented OCR and then transferred, then transferred to the New York Regional Office to represent OCR in New York and left there to come to Rutgers, come back to Rutgers Law School to serve as director of the Minority Student Program right after the Supreme Court issued its Bakke decision. The Bakke decision called into question the legality, the constitutionality of the minority student program. And so I was invited to come back and serve. Wade Henderson had preceded me. Wade Henderson, who graduated in 1973 and went on to a distinguished career in civil and human rights at the national level, was the first full-time director. When I came as a student, Professor Slocum was running the program in addition to being a full-time faculty member. In 1973, the program had grown to the point 
that the faculty and administration determined that it warranted a full-time executive director. And Wade, upon graduation from the law school, was appointed the first full-time director of the Minority Student Program. I came in 1977 in the wake of the Bakke decision, which triggered, a, like the Tripartite Commission, it triggered a, an amazing process within the law school of discussion and deliberation and debate over whether the program met the constitutional standards set out in Bakke or what changes were required. One of the significant changes that we agreed to at that time was to expand the eligibility for the program to include what we referred to at that time as disadvantaged whites. So anybody who, any applicant who could demonstrate a disadvantage would be eligible for consideration under the minority student program. Uh, that change turned out to be fortuitous because for several of the years that I ran the program, we were sued in federal court by white applicants who had been denied admission and alleged that their denial was because of the existence of the minority student program, which in their argument was admitting unqualified or lesser qualified individuals to the law school. And that that's why they did not get admitted. What we sought to prove and did successfully in federal court was that the fact that our criteria were different from the traditional criteria did not mean that they were lesser, that the people who we were admitting were as qualified as anybody else and their performance, both as students and subsequently in their careers, has borne that out. I would just close by saying that, you know, when people like Marsha Brown and Charlie Afant referred to me as their dean, that is a high honor. The Minority Student Program, besides being an academic program, people who have gone through it have developed an emotional bond that has existed for over 50 years now. And it is a distinct honor to have been given the opportunity to study law under the program. It's even a greater honor to be one of the people who had an opportunity to, uh, to lead the program. And then, you know, Wade Henderson, of course, went on to be the president and executive director of the Leadership Conference for Civil Rights, you know, one of the premier voices in this country on civil rights. One of the names that we've mentioned a lot, and I just want Marcia to say a couple words about him, is Professor L. Slocum, who really has just a tremendous reputation in these halls, both for, you know, really his sort of exacting demands for excellence on all students, students of color, all students, but really also for his force of personality and his vision with respect to this program. Marcia, do you want to talk a little bit about Al Slocum and a little bit about your your time with the MSP program? Sure. Um, let me just make a few comments uh, in response to Oliver's remarks, because he crystallized a lot of points um, that I just want to flush out a bit for myself. First of all, in 1969, the events that Oliver talked about that were going on, the wider context for that was the movement that was going on in Newark. So you might recall that Black students, primarily Black and Brown students, took over one of the buildings on campus called Conklin Hall, and they were demanding a more diverse uh, campus, a desegregated campus is what were the words that they actually used at that time, which eventually led 
to the organization of the EOF program, the Academic Foundation Center, more black and brown students than had ever been in the undergraduate side of the university, the black organization of students, and also the organization of black faculty and staff. So you had a very strong platform of black leadership that was occurring in the late 60s and the early 70s. Second of all, I think Oliver's remarks also make it clear about the way that the role of the MSP director crystallized within the context of the effort to create an inclusive uh, law school community. So the MSP director had to be involved strategically in almost everything. It's not only the art and science of admitting and retaining students, but the kind of relationship with the faculty that needed to be developed to make that program real and to build loyalties within the faculty community, to keep the program solid and crisis-free with respect to the administration, to maintain the loyalty and the engagement of alumni, and then to demonstrate that the credibility of that program had a meaning for the larger community. So not just in terms of the university, but also the buy-in of the newer community, because they were very much aware of what was going on and had in fact joined movements both within the law school in terms of the MSP and the undergrad side. So I wanted to give that perspective because the MSP program is, we call it just a program, but it has such a larger, more larger contours and effects than what we normally talk about. I, I would say that in 1975, when I first came, and I, I had the benefit of having both Wade and Oliver and El Slocum as my MSP directors during that uh, brief time that I was there early, and I was wearing my uh, Afro and my black beret every day because we used to have marches every day in school. I don't know if you remember that, Oliver, but you know we 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 had that little thing that we used to rub, you know that that uh, would come on on that Har uh, the show in Harlem where they would rub the, the entertainment show, where they would rub the little wood and then go on, on and perform. Well, we had one of those in the law school. You had to rub that before you came in if you were black. And then years later, when I became the MSP director, my hair is straightened and I'm, I'm dressing more traditional because now I'm underground, right? At least that's what I used to tell my students that I was underground. But my uh, relationship to Al Slocum, not only as a, as a mentor, and someone, we called him the dean, you know. El Slocum was central to almost everything that happened in that law school. Oliver already talked about the early days and, you know, El's role in helping to articulate the creation of the program itself. But as crucial developments in the legal attacks against affirmative action started to happening from the late 60s all the way on up to when I became MSP dean in 1997. And you all might recall that in 1996 was the... Uh, Proposition 209 in California that, you know, abolished all of public sector affirmative action programs. And then the lawsuits were filed against the University of Michigan, University of Washington in 1997. Oh, by the way, Texas v. Hopwood, also the circuit, that Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals case was in 1996. So between 1996 and 1998, while I was there, we were dealing with the Texas and Michigan cases and others that were challenging affirmative action. And having a lot of discussions, a lot of discussions, and L led a lot of those discussions. And, you know, we, they were very heated discussions because there was that side, there was this side of the group that said, look, we stand or die. You know, we're not going to give up what we've created in terms of MSP because many people felt that, you know, if we change anything about it, it would be a retreat, you know, from our commitment to racial equity, that we would lose the type of students that we've been getting, that 
and that argument was founded on the idea that because of the type of students that we were bringing in from Newark and bringing underrepresented students and students who came from vulnerable communities, that they brought the kind of energy and the kind of commitment and the inspired leadership that helped to create the clinics and helped to create the street law programs and all of the other progressive things that were going on in the law school. So you had that quadrant of argument going on. And then on the other side, you had Slocum who was like, look, and he was very clear. I mean, he didn't care if it was 50 people against him and he was the only one. But he believed he saw where the country was going. Um, in many ways, it was crystallizing this whole alt-right backlash to affirmative action. And and remember, that was under the Clinton presidency. So I would say, I mean, and, and, and we had, I mean, really strong arguments in those rooms where we, we battled about which way to go because... We had to think about how to reimagine the program to strengthen its ability to, to survive. And Slocum was very central to that discussion. And, and you know, he was right in saying that we needed to, I think that was the time, correct me if I'm wrong, Oliver, but I believe that that was the time in which we began the separation of the decoupling of MSP from admissions to a post-admissions program. Yes. And, yeah. And, you know, and, and that was uh, that was very hard, very, very hard to accept, even harder than adding the class element that brought in disadvantaged whites. But I would say, you know, obviously, in hindsight, I believe in ways in uh, certain ways that that L was right. But I also think that it went just beyond L's strategic brilliance. I think it had to do with the law school's history, having a tremendously committed faculty who would not allow the program to go down having a strong alumni connection, a history of senior leadership at the broader Rutgers University Newark level, and a community that helped keep the law school's racial equity lens on their radar screen. So, you know, when we think about Slocum, we also have to talk about Kanoi, Dorothy Roberts, Frank Askin, Trachtenberg, Twyla Perry, Jim Pope, and all of them who stood firm even when we began to see the cracks okay, in the tight-knit faculty support of MSP and when there were more vocal conservative forces that began talking about our borrowing passage, began talking about having, you know, students come in with better stats, you know, and there were still tensions that were going on with the Federalists. So the MSP directors were really key in the trajectory of MSP's campaign to not only just maintain itself, but to become an integral part of the decision-making of that law school. Because let's be clear, MSP was not just a, a sidebar program. Everything that had to do with that law school, MSP was in the middle of it, and that was intentional. And that was started by a Wade and L, or L and Wade, and it continued on. And let me here just give a shout-out to Jan Robinson, because I think that she brought a real defining influence to MSP by the style of her leadership, the way that she really build a strong connection and loyalty to the program by the faculty. In fact, Oliver and Jan taught me how important it was to be in the offices and the classrooms of our faculty, make sure they knew exactly what was going on with MSP. So that when we had issues about, you know, retention or students needing a, a more assistance because they did come from underrepresented backgrounds, we have faculty ready to step right up and say, okay, yep, we understand that we're with you. We're, we're going to go that that way with you. So Janice was the dean, maybe the longest running dean since before uh, Yvette, when the uh, recurring challenges to African to affirmative action rather brought about the strategy to add a class basis to the MSP admissions. But it takes a lot to be an MSP director. Oliver said that he was honored 
But this this tradition and people have brought an amazing amount of intelligence, amazing amount of commitment. This MSP is not just a specific program for us to tease out of the law school history. It is the law school. It's the defining point of the law school. It's the reason why they call it the People's Electric Law School. And it, it brokered so many people from different backgrounds together to see themselves as a force for change. I mean, after all, the real thing that MSP stands for is, is greater democracy. And that's what we all want in a society where we need to really make sure that inclusiveness and diversity and equitable progress is being made. And I know I know we're going to lose you in a few minutes, and I want to say goodbye formally. I know we're going to lose uh, Professor Fon also, but in five minutes, Charlie, can you talk about your experience, you know, coming from the South Bronx in the MSP program, but talk about what you're doing now with the Rutgers program and where we are currently? Great. So I was an act, I've been an activist uh, all my life. I was an activist in, in New York and City University in the struggle to maintain open admission and free tuition. And I decided to go to law school. And I saw this little guy speaking. Um, he was speaking with this black man. This little guy, this little, and maybe, maybe was about, I don't know, 4'10", 4'11", maybe. It was Arthur Kenoy. And I heard him speak, and he was inspiring, and he was followed by this African-American guy with a beard. And I knew that there was only one law school that I wanted to go to. And I applied to the Minority Student Program. I have to say something about the program, and that is that our program, as, as noted by Deans Quinn and, and Brown, our program is born of struggle. And I, when I talk to minority student program at, at Mideas, I, I remind them of this, and I remind them that we are there. I am a lawyer because the people of Newark rose up. In 1967, I remind them that our program was born of their struggle, of their blood. 26 people died in Newark. 747 people were injured in the 1967 uprising. Over 1,400 people were in prison, and many of them beaten. And as a direct result of those struggles, by the people of Newark, led by the black folks of Newark, that led to the birth of our program, that forced the birth of our program. I tell students that when we're in the building, which has been a while now, the library has class pictures. And uh, Rutgers Newark is the oldest law school in the state of New Jersey. It's older than 100 years old. And every class has their class pictures framed. Every student is placed in there, just about every student. And I urge them to look at those pictures because it tells a story that is striking. When you look at those pictures, you see that almost to a person, they consist of white men. And if you, if you look behind those males, you see that they were predominantly from 
well-to-do families come, but that changes in about 1970. And the change is stark. Change is stark, and that's because of our program. The minority student program changed the face of the bar in the state of New Jersey. It helped to change the face of the bar in the United States. And once students were let in, as Dean Quinn portrays and, and, and has told us, once you let us in, we demand more change. When I was a student at the law school, there were two faculty of color, two, Alfred Slocum and Charles Jones. And we struggled and demanded and pushed, and so did students after us. Today, there are more than 25 faculty of color in the law school. These things just don't happen. They don't ha just happen because of the thoughts of good people. These things are a direct result and have always been a direct result of people's struggle. And as we enter these institutions and demand of the institutions and struggle, that brings change. And I am proud that I can have some small part in, in, in bringing change to this uh, institution, change that we continue to need. I'm happy that not only do we have more than 25 faculty of color, but that we have an MSP class uh, of day and evening students of 78 students. That's just in the Newark side. So we've made great progress, but as the events going on in our country have shown, we have so much further to go. There is so much change that's uh, still needed. My wife showed me just the other day the beating of yet another black man by the police. And I like to think that we are graduating lawyers, law students that will become lawyers, and no matter where they are, where they practice, whether they practice in the boardroom, in the courtroom, or they don't practice, but no matter where they are, we, they will be persons dedicated to advancing justice, social justice in the United States. And that uh, is what I believe the legacy of MSP must be. And, and what you talk about being everywhere is the Rutgers conspiracy, the boardrooms, you know, the academia, we have judges all over the place. And, you know, I think that over the last 50 years, we've demonstrated that. How are you doing, Marsha? Yeah, I'm just getting ready to jump off. I, I was just repeating what Charlie had said because I think it's a, a very compelling notion for us to advance. We do, we owe a debt. And we used to say all the time to those who much has been given, much is expected. Because when you have the designation attorney at law, which uh, Oliver Quinn told me at one time, it's a very important designation. And so we owe, a debt to make sure that we use that designation in ways that promotes the public interest. And at in these times, the public interest is, a, is not a racially divisive country, but a country that can rest itself on foundation of racial equity. 
So I just want to leave by saying that I, I think that MSP has been on a 50-year journey or 50-plus years journey to uh, build a pipeline of opportunity for uh, underrepresented students and people to become leaders in our society. But it was just a pleasure to be with you all and uh, stay lifted. Thank you, Marsha. We love you. Thank you for everything you do. I just leave you with one Al Slocum story. I loved Al Slocum. He was, he was my mentor. Uh, he was a friend. And I remember as a young law student, I came here as an activist and I thought of myself as a sort of radical activist. And he stunned me in some of the things he taught me. He just told me we have to be everywhere. And, you know, those small things just taught me so much. I remember thinking how we were, we, we just had to succeed. Failure was not an option. And being stunned when I heard him talk about one of the things that he struggled for was for us to have the right to fail. And that was also kind of stunning to me, but it taught me so much in what our struggle is about. We need the right to fail. And then he's the one that, that, that for me, coined the phrase, the Rutgers Conspiracy. And, and that is that when we leave here, no matter where we go, we reach back, we bring somebody with us, and we support the institution and the program. I, I will always be indebted to him. I miss him still every day. Thank you so much, and thank you for everything that you're doing with the students now. I know that they are really, really um, happy for all the support you've given them, and they really recognize that you're working around the clock for them right now during these really difficult times. So thank you. Thank you for joining us. So uh, Rashida, I told you when we started that these three were old friends and they were going to just chit chat and chit chat. You know, we don't we don't go back to the 70s like they do. But you, you had a tremendous challenge in terms of building the program in, in Camden and, you know, certainly been recognized for, I think, the tremendous work you have done with that community. Talk a little bit about that journey and talk about, you know, the, the, the moment that we're in right now in this country, you know, a moment of reckoning with structural racism and what that means for our students and what that means for legal education generally. Oh, thank you so much for inviting me uh, to just be a part of this conversation, David, because I don't mind listening <laughs> to Oliver, Marsha, and Charlie to just talk about some of the struggles that they had to face as law students and just the sacrifices that they made for the students then and how that legacy really just continues. And it also has been the wind underneath my wings in terms of getting the program established in Camden. Um, as I mentioned a little earlier, I knew about MSP when I was a law student um, or even looking to go to law school and had looked at Rutgers York and decided Camden because I knew that law school would require another level of focus. And I knew that I could not stay home. And I knew that I needed to put some distance between myself and family and friends in order to really focus and get the most out of my legal education. And so in terms of the work that was required, I can tell you all undoubtedly that the alumni community in Rutgers and Camden was excited uh, to hear that MSP was coming. Uh, there was a lot of buzz um, because for years we talked amongst ourselves about 
saying that there needed to be more of a structured program to support the law students of color at the Camden location. We don't have the numbers that Newark has had historically in terms of the numbers of students of color, as well as the uh, faculty of color. We're still, we still have room to grow. So I've, I understood that bringing a structured program that would basically provide support to those students when they came into the law school just be impactful. And it has been just that because now the law students of color who are in Camden, they talk about it all the time, that there's now a community that's there. And not to say that it wasn't there before because we have BALSA, you know, we had the equivalent of Alianza or PALSA chapters, but that was student-led. So to have it be from the, um, the leadership there, to have the administration and to have a director who's focused on getting them connected with resources, that just made a world of difference. And I think that MSP would have made a difference in my career. Like I was able to actually go back to the law school to start panel discussions before MSP started. Right after I graduated and started practicing commercial litigation, it was clear to me that the law students at Rutgers, the law students of color in particular, needed to hear about how to navigate in these spaces. Like how do you, you know, conduct yourselves when you're going into these interviews with these private firms that are predominantly white? And so I started to come back to do panel discussions to speak with the students about that right after I graduated. And I actually met Fabiana Pierre-Louis, who is now the first Black woman to be appointed to the New Jersey Supreme Court when she was a student. She actually came out to attend one of the panel discussions that I had hosted, and she had a chance to hear from another alum, Ellen Bailey, who was actually the clerk for Justice Wallace at the time. And so Fabiana was inspired by hearing about Ellen's career journey. And therefore, after that panel discussion, Fabiana reached out to me. You all know she's also from Essex County. She was going to go back to North Jersey. And I said, well, hey, why don't you apply to some opportunities down here? She told me she was interested in clerking for Justice Wallace, but she didn't think she had the credentials to do it. And I stopped her. I said, no, don't disqualify yourself. Put your name in the hat. Don't limit yourself. See what happens. And she clerked for Justice Wallace and just loved that experience. And so I think even though we didn't have MSP and I think we could have benefited from it, we do have a very close-knit alumni community in Camden that continues to reach back and continues to provide resources, to, continues to provide wisdom and guidance. And now having MSP with that alumni community, I can't even begin to just to really have the words to describe how much more of an impact we're able to make in the lives of these students. I now have students who have been in the Google Summer Legal Institute. I have students that are now actually clerking at the appellate level in New Jersey. And with MSP, what happened, what, what I came to realize really quickly was that I needed to do more than just to focus on the programmatic pieces of MSP. And what I mean by that is it's more than the academic support. It's more than the summer internships. It's more than the mentors. I needed to start focusing on the environment at the law school and how do we make sure that we have an environment where the students don't feel that they're constantly facing microaggressions or implicit bias or that there's a lack of cultural competency amongst students that are there in Camden and some of the faculty, honestly. And so we instituted a diversity and inclusion and belonging working group committee at the Camden location. We also have a student leadership committee that has been working in tandem to really look at different ways of programming, different speakers that we can bring in, more trainings that we can bring in to just really help the students do their best 
and to be in an environment that is really just appreciating all of the talent and the drive and the determination that those students bring to Rutgers Law School. And so I think MSP has just further inspired the students to speak up and to stand together in unity in light of the legacy that they know MSP, like the name of MSP, what that means throughout the state and throughout the country, it has been like a lightning bolt at the Camden location. And I think I am especially proud of the students because they've now, since the Black Lives Matter movement and what we've seen with the murder of George Floyd, the students again have just rallied to continue having these conversations about what else we can be doing as a law school to help dismantle systemic racism. And then the fact that we now have Dean Kim Mutcherson in Camden, who, as you know, David, she's helping to lead with the Association of American Law Schools with their clearinghouse, with the anti-racist clearinghouse project, and also with the um, joint letter of solidarity that was issued from the Camden and the North faculty with clearly delineated action items. Those are all steps that are definitely in the right direction, but we're also working with the students to start implementing some of those, the different initiatives that were outlined. And so I feel that, again, we're seeing students, you know, push a movement like the Black Lives Matter movement. And it's, you know, it's reminiscent of what the students did, like John Lewis, you know, uh, Dr. King, so many others that were young people at the time of the civil rights movement. And so we're seeing that happen again. And, And I think it's just timely that we have MSP in Camden at this time as well. Uh, the students have also started a Black Lives Matter newsletter, and that's been a collaborative effort from the Black Law Students Association and the Veterans Law Students um, Association. And so we're seeing that the students, and it's not just the Black and Brown students, it's the white students as well that are now banding together and, and continuing to push the law school to make changes that are really going to be as impactful and lasting as possible. And so I'm, I'm proud to be leading MSP at this time because I see the students just stepping up. Yeah, and, and the students absolutely, I, I don't want to embarrass you, but the students absolutely adore you. And I know that last year, the Rutgers Newark Association of Black Law Students gave you a special award at their annual Jazz for Justice dinner, you know, recognizing your leadership. And you're absolutely correct that my counterpart, Kim Mutcherson, has really taken a leadership in a leadership role, you know, with the Association of Law Schools and their anti-racist work. So it's a lot of activity going on and, and thank you so much for everything you're doing. I want, I want to circle back to Oliver Quinn to close this out. And so, uh, but I, I want you to make any final thoughts about, you know, the legacy and where we go, but I also want you to talk about your project uh, with respect to uh, the Al Slocum Fellowship. Thank you. Let me say first, one of, one of the presumptions that offends me often is that when people of color organize, that it's being done with the purpose of destroying something. I think one of the themes that has been clear throughout this, this discussion is that MSP has added to the value of Rutgers Law School as an institution. The changes in the curriculum and the environment and the other changes that were advocated for were initiated in many instances by students who gained access to the law school through MSP 
were changes that benefited the entire institution. Charlie made reference to Al Slocum's comments or discussion he had with Al Slocum about uh, becoming a prosecutor. I had a similar, you know, experience with with Al when I was being recruited to go to Prudential Financial. I really never had an interest in going into a corporate setting, and they didn't seem to have ever had an interest in bringing me into a corporate setting. Uh, and this opportunity came along, and I went to see Al because I always did that before I made moves, and I was really looking to be talked out of it. And Al looked at me and said in his typical brusque but loving way, no, you're going to do that. And I said, why? He said, because we, which is how we referred to everybody who came through the minority student program, said, we've, we've established that we can excel in many areas of the law and beyond the law, in business, in politics, in, in a number of things. The arena where we had not demonstrated our ability to succeed was in the corporate arena. And he felt that I was being given an opportunity to do that and that I had an obligation to follow through on that and to break that barrier down. Al was always preaching to us that it was really never about us individually. It was always about something greater than us. And that, I think, is is the DNA of the Minority Student Program. After Al passed, we had a number of discussions about how we could honor him. Obviously, we are his legacy. MSP is his legacy. But we wanted to do something more concrete. And summers are challenging for students who need to make money but are looking for meaningful, substantive experiences. There are a lot of social justice organizations that have a need for law students and could provide them with meaningful experiences, but don't have the resources to pay them. And so we decided that we would create what we called the Professor Alfred Slocum Social Justice Interns Fund, which is a fund that pays stipends to law students who work during the summer at social justice organizations started it this summer. Obviously, the pandemic threw a monkey wrench in our plans, but we were able to fund two interns who worked at the New Jersey Institute for Social Justice in Newark and had amazing experience. And we hope to build on that to raise more money so that we can place more interns, not just at that institute, but at the Center for Constitutional Rights and a number of other social justice organizations so that our students get that practical experience. And that's fantastic. And really, really thank you for helping to lead that effort. If people are interested in giving, what should they do? Contact the Rutgers University Foundation and they will facilitate the contribution and ensure that the money goes to the fund. And I, I don't know if I ever told you the story, Oliver, but when I first got hired, the professors here have the opportunity to also name the professorship. And so I called Charlie. I said, Charlie, there's only a handful of Latino deans in the whole United States, you know, and I don't think any of our honorary professorships are named for Latino. What, what do you suggest? Do you have any suggestions? And he just, without missing a beat, he goes, Al Slocum. Al Slocum is, you know, at, at the core of what this institution is all about. And so that's how I ended up as the 
Professor Alfred Slocum Scholar. And to me, you know, it's, it's, it's an honor because I never met him. I went to his very moving tribute that we had about a year and a half ago, but I certainly recognize really the weighty obligation of what that means uh, for me as the dean to really carry on his legacy at this law school. And I, and I think, David, that your brief tenure as dean so far and as the Slocum Scholar has done justice to that title. Thank you. I appreciate that, particularly today since I broke yet another cell phone <laughs> and I need to get it right. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not real, a big fan of my skill sets today, but um, I think it's really fitting that, you know, that we start, started with you, Oliver, and that we ended with Rashida as, you know, an example of us building on this program and the legacy of the program. Any uh, last minute comments, Rashida? Yes, I am just, I'm thrilled to be a part of the MSP legacy and to be at Rutgers Law School at a time when it's being led by you and Kim Mutcherson, um, just as two deans of color who are on the cutting edge of helping to continue transforming legal education and to just, again, to be able to listen to Oliver and Marsha and Charles is just really helpful for me and it helps me to continue to kind of hone my vision for where else we can take MSP. Thank you. Okay, Dean Quinn, you get the last, you get the final words. I think as we go forward, MSP's role in the institutions has to constantly be revisited. It started out as an admissions and academic support program. It has evolved into a number of, of different things. And I think there is still a need for MSP, but I think we have to continue to discuss what that looks like circa 2020 and beyond and how we can impact the bar in New Jersey and nationally. And I think MSP is positioned with Rashida and whoever succeeds Charlie as the permanent director of, of MSP in Newark have an amazing opportunity, I think, to help shape what the mission will be going forward right on okay thank you thank you all thank you thank you wade thank you kenny thank you jan thank you vet thank you I'm, I'm i know i'm gonna forget somebody i shouldn't have started this um <laughs> but thank you thank you all the msp students um and this is power of attorney thank you david <laughs>